You are listening to the Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Deans. Join me for conversations with inspiring people who are transforming lives, relationships and landscapes through regenerative agriculture. We explore how we can be the change we wish to see in the world. Welcome to episode four of the Transformation Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be chatting with Tamsin Ravel. Tamsin describes herself as a consumer who cares. I met Tamsin last year in 2018 at um, a Listening to Country event at Mullumbimby. And then I met Tamsin a few more times after that at various regenerative agricultural events. Tamsin's passion for promoting the message of regenerative ag is inspirational. She's currently working on a documentary about regenerative farming and traveling the country, talking to farmers, attending workshops and events and learning as much as she can. Welcome Tamsin, it's so great to have you here. Hi Kim, how are you going? I'm good, I'm good. Um, good excuse to catch up with you and have yeah. a chat today and share a little bit about your journey into um, making a film about regenerative agriculture. Can you tell us a little bit about how this came to be? Okay, well, it's a fairly long story, so I'll try and cut it as short mm -hmm. as I can. I started um, asking questions. Uh, when, once I um, was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, I ended up with Graves' disease, which is hyperthyroidism. And it means that your thyroid is being attacked by your immune system and it's overproducing thyroxine. And um, it has complications like you lose a lot of weight. And I'd also given up sugar, eating sugar or too much of it anyway. And I went to the doctor. I said, I'm really not feeling very well. He said, you know, have you got X, Y and Z wrong with you? And I said, not really, but I'm losing a lot of weight. And um, he said, how's your heart feeling? And I said, well, you know, I'm lying down to go to sleep and it's 98 beats per minute and I can't control it with my breathing. So he referred me to a uh, thyroid specialist and I sat there and I was adamant that this was not normal. And he said, being a specialist, yeah, 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 you're in the right age group. You know, you're a woman, you're, you're around about the age of 40. And uh, most women have thyroid issues. And I'm thinking, no, they don't. <laughs> and I was fully prepared to have an argument with him. Um, but because of course, yes, he's trained and he's a specialist, of course, to him, it is very normal. And um, I had great trouble coming to terms with this because I'm as strong as an ox and always have been. I've been the, the man of the family for between me and mum when dad left when I was 11. And this, I just got weaker and weaker and I dropped down to 57 kilos and I own a, a horse riding school and I couldn't even lift a bale of hay. And one of the um, uh, clients, I was sitting down after the lesson because I could barely stand up by this point. And uh, she said, you look terrible. And I said, thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually feel really bad. That was my lowest point, I think. Um, luckily for me, the old pharmaceutical companies had got um, a pill that actually suited me and um, it was blocking my thyroid from making thyroxine. So uh, I managed to get better. And then two years later, I ended up having an emotional and physical breakdown. And it's different to a mental breakdown. Um, the emotional ended up two months later, I ended up with the physical breakdown. It was a knock on effect. And I ended up uh, four days here at home in 37 degrees without air conditioning, 
with excruciating head and neck in, um, pain. And it was like the combination of having whiplash, the worst hangover ever, and a migraine. And every time I sat up, I threw up and I, I, I just didn't know what to do. I wasn't scared. I just knew my body had to go through all this for some reason. So by the fourth day, uh, I was still being sick. And so we called the ambulance. And then eight days later, I, well, I spent eight days in hospital and uh, I um, was lying on my back and the nurses would come in and I knew I looked like I was ready for the morgue. And so I'd actually just say, hello, I am still alive because I was very drugged up as well. And uh, they'd go, oh, good, because we thought actually you might have died. Wow. <laughs> so, oh, my so that was quite funny. Yeah. yeah. And um, I couldn't move. I, and I had to force myself to sit up and, and eat um, my three meals a day, which is the only thing I look forward to in hospital. And, uh, and then I came out and I, funnily enough, the guy, the, the GP that was on duty in the accident and emergency was actually my thyroid specialist. And so he asked me, um, you know, have you got any issues like thyroid issues or anything? I said, yes, and you should know because you're my specialist. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> he didn't actually recognize me. And um, so luckily for me, because he was my GP then while I was in hospital, he was checking my thyroid all the time. And what I believe is I went to see him after I got out and he said, no, you're all clear. And I believe it was the involuntary forced fasting that I did for the four days while I was really really ill with my breakdown um, so I now no longer have my thyroid autoimmune disease um, which I'm very grateful for because some, those pills they were doing funny things to me as well as much as they were helping mm. um, and then I after five weeks of being at home and dragging myself around the house and main, mainly being flat on my back, um, my neighbor came over and said, you can't live like this. I'm going to give you a number of um, a medical acupuncturists. They're different to a normal acupuncturist. So um, he's called Dr. Chan and he's on the Gold Coast. And he is, if you have anybody who is on death's door, can't move for whatever reason, he's the guy to get into. He has a, a waiting list and things, but he was the one that got me up after a week of treatment i think i had three treatments in a week it's very painful and i get very emotional and i cry and i had one this morning so i might be a bit emotional on on this podcast mm. and uh th that's two years ago so of course the two-year period coincided with my filming um this year and again it was a little bit emotional um because two years ago right now i was flat on my back Wow. It's hard to imagine having met you, Tamsin, and see the energy you have. What a recovery you must have made. Amazing. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm as strong as an ox and, and I'm a fighter and um, I will not give up. And that was one of the reasons why I said, what is going on here? I, what happened was I transitioned from dairy. Um, so um, oh, what do you call it? Normal milk. <laughs> Cow's yeah. milk. That's it. Yeah. Um, and I transitioned to soy milk because I could no longer tolerate the cow's milk. And I was on soy milk. This was before my autoimmune disease. I was on it for about three years. And one of the things that the specialist said to me was, are you drinking soy milk? And I said, yes. He said, get off it straight away. He said, one of the reasons why thyroidism problems are so um, prevalent in the Western world is because of the soy milk. So I started looking into that. And I also wanted, I'm a Jersey girl. I've spent 19 years of my life um, drinking 
full fat jersey cream milk and and not having any problems at all and then i started well what happened was the industry the dairy industry started introducing homogenized milk and then i figured out that actually i can't drink homogenized milk mm. so i can now drink full fat non-homogenized cow's milk and wow. uh, it's really good for it yeah so then i did that start your questioning what was in what was being done to food and what was in your food is that sort of what kick-started the regen ag passion absolutely so it, it was a combination of that plus i watched um, a dvd that was more more than honey it's called and it um is about how we are treating our bees in the commercial enterprise um but particularly in america um so i thought right i'm going to do a bit of research here as well because it, our bees are socially so similar to us as a human species I thought well if they're suffering with the next um, species of animal to suffer mm. um, so I toddled off to some beekeeping conferences and um, went to New South Wales Queensland and then South Australian conferences and met people and they sort of would say so are you what are you what are you a beekeeper I say no no I own a riding school on the Gold Coast and, and their looks I just say it because their looks were pretty, pretty <laughs> and uh, and so uh, they said were well, you going to get into beekeeping and I said well yeah what the initial thing with the thyroidism and, and feeling so awful and standing in the middle of an arena teaching people to ride it, it gets up to like 40 50 degrees in the sun and I've got and I'm standing underneath a hat and that's it so I, I thought to myself I seriously have to change um, my business and my work and and I just didn't know where I was going. I was kind of letting destiny sort of take me a bit and the whole bees was talking to me. I'd have bees land on my hands while I was teaching and it, it, I was being connected. Mm. Um, and as you know, with the listening to country, how, how important that spiritual side of things and, and listening to country, literally. Um, and the bees were talking to me and I had, I had a teddy bear bee fly in through the house and out back out the house when I was writing to Jodie Goldsworthy, who's Beechworth Honey. So I was contacting, I was writing emails and letters and I wrote to Barnaby Joyce and, and he actually replied. So I was pretty <laughs> happy about that because apparently he doesn't really reply to people. And, uh, and so I sat in the conferences and I went, yes, everything that I've been told is correct. Everybody over here is, is doing what they should be doing. We haven't got the Varroa mite, that's all good. And um, I was wanting to start up a leptospermum plantation. So I was looking at land to buy. So leptospermum, if you don't know, the, the Maori word is manuka. Yeah. Um, it originates in Australia. There's 87 different species and um, it's actually, um, really prolific in northern rivers area which is just down the road from me because of the high rainfall i think um and uh, that's yeah how i got started and then um the first soil conference i went to so nutrisoil was a really big one for me because uh, having got my riding school i um ordered um i don't know five or twenty i think it must have been 20 liters of the worm juice years and years ago like eight years ago and I was going to do a little bit of um, a trial and experiment to see how well my grass grew when I sprayed that. Um, 
And so Nutrisoil always sent me the emails that you get through sort of monthly emails or whatever. Anyway, there was a Dr. Christine Jones talk down at um, their actual uh, place uh, down at Barranduda, down at Nutrisoil um, place. And I didn't even know who Dr. Christine Jones was. And so I sent her an email and I said, I'm really excited because... I'm actually going to get out the house and I'm going to travel down to Victoria and I'm going to do all this. And when, after you've had a breakdown, you're really stripped bare. You are standing there completely naked. Everyone can see your soul. You can't move. You can't support yourself. You are really vulnerable. So this was about, I think it was April and I just got out of bed, um, end of February, I suppose. And, um, so this was massive to me. So I sent her an email saying how wonderful, you know, it all was and stuff. <laughs> I had no idea who she, how important she is in the, in the regenerative scene. <laughs> I, um, she um, humoured me, bless her. And uh, I sat there with, you know, full of painkillers because I was sitting down and it was really difficult. All I wanted to do was lie down, but I forced myself. And uh, it was, uh, I just sat and listened to her talking about how we're all addicted to nitrogen. And um, I, I just went, but all this makes complete sense. What are farmers actually doing? Mm. And I just was flabbergasted because it all made complete sense. It was so easy to understand that anything else that a farmer was doing to their land must be difficult. It must be far harder and far less profitable. And so... I then, I think it was at the end of the day, um, Grant Sims and David Cook were um, standing chatting and they'd already said, oh, the Vic No Tills uh, conference is happening in July. And, uh, you know, just it was just sort of to advertise it. So I went over and started talking to them both. And it was quite, um, a, um, what do I call it? It was sort of that oh initial turning point where I went I can actually do this I'm brave enough to do this because I'm still feeling very vulnerable and I stood in front of these two complete strangers and farmers are very very big guys they're, they they <laughs> stand tall they <laughs> are yeah. quite intimidating to a consumer and um, they don't mean to be they just are and so um Cookie said oh that's David he said um so what do you do I said oh, I've got a horse riding school he goes Oh, you know what you can do with your horses. Best thing you can do with your horses. And I knew what was coming. And he goes, you can get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cookie. I know that farmers and horses, they don't really see eye to eye. Um, but anyway, so Grant invited me to the Vic No Tills conference in July. That was 2017, I think. And uh, that was, again, I had to be really, really brave and walk. And I sat in the back row and didn't really talk to many people. But it was an amazing conference and the one last year was incredible too. They have an awesome lineup. Yeah, that's so awesome, James, in that, you know, all of these challenges, you know, they often say breakdown becomes a breakthrough and that's, off, that's what your story really reinforces listening to me is the breakthroughs you, you got in attending some of those events and the huge effort you make and you made then and you still make to get to events and keep learning is just awesome. Um, so you've started making a film about regenerative agriculture and you've been traveling around. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the film? 
Yeah, it's so funny when you go a documentary film, I go, no, no not. <laughs> it's not actually really surreal. Uh, it's, it's more, it, it's, a, it's me <laughs> being me and bumbling my way through um, a farming agricultural sector <laughs> with all these amazing regenerative people. This is my interpretation. And at the end, it's all being caught on camera and speaker and it's all going to come together as this amazing documentary. Um, <laughs> that's the plan anyway. And, uh, but other than that, I, whether it's going to work, how it's going to look and, and sound, I just, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm still putting it together. And, uh, yeah, no, my my goal is top. Okay, so we're heading for the top. Yeah, and, uh, that's well, we can all step down a little bit, but it's it's gonna be good, I reckon, because I've got so many different characters, and uh, yeah, it's it's serious but kind of fun as well. It's sort of a bit, um, how can I say? It's it's not one of those boring documentaries. Like I've listened to some YouTube stuff and I've gone, I'm interested in this regenerative stuff and I can't listen to you. You're boring <laughs> me to death. So I want it so that it uh, it's, um, is attractive to everybody. So whether you're spiritual, whether you are um, into your business and you like making lots of profit, whether you are into your environment and protecting everything, thing including our waterways because people when you talk about regenerative farming they you just think growing crops or animals you're mm. just not understanding the holistic approach is about protecting our waterways and and I have heard over and over again on the, over these last two years particularly this last 12 months that the next war is going to be on water mm. and Unfortunately, in, in uh, Australia, we have the equivalent of what the gun lobby is like in America, and we have a mining lobby. And so I'm, I need to mention this because I just need to sow a few seeds with people. The reason I believe that we've had six different prime ministers over the last two terms is because of the mining lobby. <laughs> um, they, they get to a point and the Prime Minister is getting a little bit too powerful, a little bit too cocky, and they just sit them on their asses and, and get somebody else to take over. Mm. And it's not just the mining lobby, it is the media as well. There's some very powerful people there. So I don't doubt for one second that I'm going to get told to shut up if I get popular, and um, I'm not going to shut up. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's really important. The, the reason we, I started this is because we've got to take back control. We're no, the big, greedy, corporate, um, global pigs of, of, <laughs> of industries, I, I just have no respect for them. And they are just killing us all. Mm. And it's, it, you can look at it as a conspiracy theory, but in actual fact, when you really start uncovering and peeling back these layers, you, you, you really understand, whoa, okay. Um, I don't know whether you watched 60 Minutes last night with the Scientology. No, I didn't. No, yeah. Yeah, that is a classic. Mm. And I said, why can't they go in and rescue these people? Nope, because everybody's got their hand, either backhanders or they've got a hand in their pie or whatever you call it. Mm. It's scary. It is, isn't it? And I know when you talk about the war on water, the amount of water that I've, I've just been reading about recently that's being used in the mining industry is being kind of totally um, 
forgotten about in the whole river crisis we're experiencing in the in the Murray-Darling Basin. So, you know, there's all sorts of issues that contribute to problems like that. Um, and yeah, a lot of them are being avoided and other people are being blamed and it's becoming, you know, rather than looking at the whole system and how it's functioning, um, yeah. which is what regenerative agriculture is so exciting because it is a system, system approach. It's not, it's about addressing the, the problem at the cause of the problem, not just putting band-aids on it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, and we're so used to it. it's become normal mm. to put band aids on these problems. Yeah, you know, and, mm. and another one of the other reasons was the children that I teach. So uh, one of the reasons I had to break down was because I was flogging myself to try and keep um, a couple of properties um, from going under and my mm. business up and going. And I had fifty children and uh, ten adults, so I was teaching sixty people to ride every week. And it was getting to a point where every other child was coming through the door with some form of illness, whether it was autism or autoimmune diseases or just lack of concentration or, you know, whatever it was. And it was normal. And it's normal to give these children pills and medication. And mm. then I watched them and they go, I feel a bit sick today. Well, why? Uh, you know because they're, they're, we've changed the medication and I'm thinking this is a six-year-old that's scary isn't it it yeah. is really really scary and mm -hmm. so again that's the pharmaceutical industry yeah you know band-aiding the problem mm -hmm. let's let's go back to grassroots let's start growing proper food without synthetics and chemicals and let's start making our um, population our society function again because we can't mm. at the moment and and it's because our food and our water is just being played with mm. yeah and you must have met some inspiring farmers in the last couple of years is there anyone that you particularly inspires your journey and your filming and your passion Tamsin uh yeah there's there's lots of them um I've got I've got a favorite one yes <laughs> And I think it's because he's going to kill me for this, but I think it's because I actually scare him. <laughs> so it's very amusing walking in and, and shaking his hand. And uh, um, I don't know if I should mention his name now. <laughs> <laughs> and you could tell us about the farmer, the, the farmer in particular. Oh, I don't know if you dropped out. Oh, is it dropped out? I can still hear you okay. Um, and it's just hopefully going to stick with me. Well, yeah, you're, you're doing your metal Mickey impersonation again. Okay, I think it's working okay now. Fingers okay. crossed. Yeah, you're good. My internet's not always the best. Um, and yeah, is there anything in particular about the farmer that inspires you? Is it something you've learnt from them, or? Oh, he's um, he's very into the regenerative side, and I do know. Are you still there? Yes. Yes, it's all good. Okay. Okay, good. Um, I do know that he does still use a little bit of chemical, but um, he gets very excited with the combination of multi-species mm -hmm. and actually producing cash crops from the multi-species rather than, well, I mean, still doing monoculture, but he's listening to him. He uh, was talking about, I think it was three or four different crops and he noticed that for this one particular season, one crop did better than the other, but it was because it was being supported by the others. 
Yeah. So I think that that particular year he did only get a monocrop for cash, but he was growing three or four different species. Wow. And it's that whole, um, you know, that complementary nature of those crops and how they lift each other up. And that's exactly what we can do in the regenerative ag space as well. So, yeah, I was just saying before I dropped out how interesting it is how the multi-species, the crops will support each other so that everything's lifted and everything's better, um, oh, just like we can do with each other, you know, in, in our regenerative ag community. Yes. Once, once um, he told me that, I then just immediately thought of companion planting. And yes. then the question was, how, how have farmers got so far away from our gardeners why why when you have a, a small plot of uh, veggies in the backyard do you put your chook manure and your horse manure on and and you do all those things and yet our farmers are sticking synthetics on what what happened um, now of course doing my regenerative homework I actually do know the answer so it was all to do with our world wars World yeah. War One was about nitrogen. World War Two was about glyphosate. Wow! Thanks very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, um, are there any other people that inspired your journey in particular that you'd like to share, or any particular people? Did yeah, you say something? Who or what that inspires you? There, there is one at the moment. Um, yeah, he's pretty special. He's got some incredible ideas and we are sort of just bouncing off each other at the moment. Um, so we just, we're thinking the same, acting the same. And um, the idea is to move whatever we have with regenerative, the education, the empowering of farmers, the actual changing of their, um, their sort of farming schedules, um all those things are all intertwined and using livestock is a massive part of regenerating our soil so our soil needs the carbon it needs the fungi and it really really needs um livestock manure yeah that's so true mm. yeah are there any good resources that you can recommend for people listening today who want to learn more about regenerative agriculture? Um, yes, I think it is pretty intimidating as a consumer, as somebody, if you don't know anything about farming, I mean, I'm lucky because I've worked with horses all my life. So I do understand how to manage my land, although I'm not doing a very good job of it at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a couple, there's, there's one in Victoria. So I mentioned Nutrisoil. The Nutrisoil family are incredible people. They are so friendly, down to earth. They always, always make you feel welcome. They will always speak to you. They don't get technical and they are always organizing little events um, and they are particularly trying to um, home in on the consumer. Yeah. because uh, 
nothing we've got to a point now where there are that many regenerative farmers or at least in tra the transitional stage that we need now demand and we just to kick more farmers into the regenerative way and so we need to educate consumers and make it affordable like this whole organic produce which is more expensive than normal produce mm. is it, it, it will not work we have to get the price and if you're doing regenerative farming properly your inputs are a lot less than conventional farming or industrial farming so you don't have to put the price of your food up uh, we need to have control over anybody to do with processing and the supermarkets again supermarkets global greedy corporate companies mm. and we we have to take control it's 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 got it's chaotic at the moment and we can do it there's enough of us little people um to to form some real good changing strength mm. um and so i'll go to, sorry just going back with the nutrisoil they are um targeting um the education towards consumers as well as farmers and and they're such lovely people yeah. and then the other uh group um well it's a one lady band but she's amazing is sarah fee with jicks um she's up in toowoomba and she organizes uh, events as well so if you're yeah. in new south wales you can either go north or south <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and get to one of these um again sarah's incredibly friendly and uh she organizes every year wow her lineup is is breathtaking um, yeah and uh, uh well as you know because that's where we saw each other again we <laughs> did, we did. yeah <laughs> and she seems to really enjoy bringing good quality speakers to in, to the area so people get the opportunity to hear and learn from them which is yeah those guys yes are definitely that soil as well yeah um, it, if you want to start somewhere um, by reading a book, Charles Massey's book is, has got to be the top of the pinnacle. Um, he, it's a beautifully written book. It is very heavy and it's not one that you just pick up and read a couple of pages. You need to put aside an hour or so. But um, for consumers, if you are interested in um, our soils and farming and, and how it's gone wrong and who's got it right. I mean, 40 years ago, there were some incredible farmers that just said, enough's enough, I'm doing it my way and I'm mm. going to go against the flow. And uh, Charles managed to get their stories all into one book and it's, it's a really good read. Yeah, I found reading one chapter a night got me through it because the stories were Oh, really well done. Yeah, one chapter <laughs> a night because it is, it is a big read. Um, but each the stories that he tells of, of the different farmers' journeys is really inspiring. It gives people pretty good grounding in the whole concept of regenerative agriculture. Yeah, for sure. yeah it's really yeah. good. Yeah, I can second you on that one. Um, so, yeah, I suppose we've been talking for about half an hour, Tamsin. So I want to think about, I guess, leaving our listeners with one simple action that you think we can all take to, to leave a more regenerative life. Okay, yeah, I, I did take um, a few minutes to ponder this one. Um, and I think the most powerful part that we can do is actually just stop and think. And 
everything you do, you think that there is a consequence to your actions. And when I teach horse riding, it's about where there's an action. If you kick the horse in the guts, there's going to be a reaction. He's either going to buck you off or he's going to go forwards, depending on what sort of horse it is. So think about what you're doing. Think about when you go and buy food that it's not pre-wrapped in plastic. Woolworths are brilliant at pre-wrapping everything. Mm-hmm. Coles are much you know, I'm a little bit funny about coals because of the way they've treated our dairy farmers. Um, they've got loose produce. So I'm very grateful about that. And I don't have to feel guilty about taking all my bananas or my tomatoes or anything out of a plastic wrapper and just sticking it in the bin. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, think about everything. Think about what you are putting in your mouth. Think about what you're feeding your children. So, for example, white bread is really bad. Read the labels. Think about it. If it says that it's got soy flour in it, soy flour is not from Australia. Um, think about where your produce is coming from. If it's, if it's Australian, I only buy Australian. I can't stomach anything else. If the garlic from China, I, can't, I cannot eat it. Mm. Um, and so uh, I know that a lot of our food here in Australia is not regeneratively farmed I understand that but at least I know how it's actually getting from farm to to the supermarket and when you when possible if you can buy direct off a farmer that's awesome it's not all you know when it is possible and know how they produce food isn't it wonderful to know yes absolutely and I do want to mention that there is there, there is a move within the regenerative circles to actually take regeneratively produ- uh, produced food from the farmer directly to the consumer. Mm. And for no extra cost, it'll be pretty well the same as what you buy in a supermarket. And I really, that's my next thing. Once I've got this documentary done, I'm really pushing for the availability of regeneratively produced food to reward our farmers yeah how exciting it's been yeah i can still hear you okay um can you hear me okay yep yes i can now (laughs) Um, thank you so much tamsin for sharing your story it is so inspirational to hear you know the journey that you've been on and and I know to see the difference that you're making by helping consumers understand what's in their food how it's produced how it makes such a difference to support regenerative farming practices to their health and the health of our planet um, as well as the viability of our farmers businesses Um, it's just awesome and I'm really looking forward to listening to your document watching your documentary when it comes out so it's awesome i think our our internet's unstable again oh this is great stuff isn't it (laughs) oh no there you are yeah (laughs) i'm gonna have to just learn to edit i can see the time has come (laughs) good luck with the editing (laughs) i was just thanking you for all the amazing work you do and for being here and having making time to talk to me today i really appreciate it and getting your head around the technology Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Kim. It's been, um, it's, I, I think I might have got a bit passionate at times though, but that's just me. <laughs> that's it. And that's, that's one of the reasons I thought you'd be great. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to have a, have a yarn with you basically. Mm, awesome. Thank you so much, Tamsin. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>